In these times of great uncertainty, the obvious question that occupies all of our minds is, of what may we be certain? We live in an era described as the post-truth era. And we hear public figures uh, speaking all the time about truth being personalized, namely my truth or your truth. What, what is happening is a real jostling for a, a position in the minds of people to be able to say what you want to and yet be immune from the social, political, and financial costs associated with people saying whatever they want to say. A very interesting and rather subtle development has come about uh, as people try to position themselves to both influence society as well as to avoid the usual financial costs associated with taking a position that alienates large groups of people. We're watching the development of an interesting phenomenon, and that is how the market that popular figures depend upon is being defined according to the patterns of how people are thinking. In short, there are many people who take very controversial positions today, and when they do so, they do so with a skillful, uh, with, with skillfully noting how that particular point of view survives in the marketplace. This is true of politicians, it's true of social commentators, it's true certainly of um, recording artists, movie stars, etc. And instead of the society being able to come together, uh, it's being further and further fragmented by oper operatives who are very skillful in carving out their particular portion of society that ensures that they have an audience that both guarantees them a voice and cushions them and provides certain immunities from the, from the financial consequences associated with their positionings. So we see all manner of people, and they're all over the map. Uh, people are pretty disgusted right now with the extremes of positions taken. Seems like everybody has a cause, and they're trying to rally support for that cause, irrespective of how it tears at the overall fabric of society. From a long view, from the long lenses of this perspective, it's very clear that any society, any kingdom, any nation divided against itself is headed for the dustbin of history. Don't take my word for it. Take the word of the greatest prophet who ever lived. For he said, any nation or kingdom divided against itself cannot stand, cannot stand. 
It's not maybe it will or maybe it won't. It's that when you divide and divide and divide and divide, soon enough, the, the resulting portions are too small to represent anything significant. And in the end of it, not only do these portions become too small, but they become warring among each other. Warring for uh, market share, warring for um, influence, to try to contain as much influence as they can so that their voice is the last voice heard. Now, the folly of this seems altogether apparent. You would think that people would get this. So the question underlying a lot of this is, what's really driving this race to the bottom? What's really driving it? And the answer is, the culture of the orphan is driving it all. Because all the orphan knows is that he or she can only depend upon himself. An orphan has no no concept of anything bigger, any world that is bigger than his own, his or her own. An orphan has no, no concept of being able to depend upon anyone except his or her skills. And so... For the orphan, the resource begins and ends, the resource on which he he or she can depend, begins and ends with what they can control. So, in this race to the bottom, the, the typical orphan thinks in terms of, on the way down, they never think in terms of overall consequences. Because... They are forever in the place of victims and their their position is always the position of outsiders looking in. The me, the us against them or me against the world kind of perspective. So as people are trying to get their arms around what, what can be done about this obviously recklessly divided society. And people see that there's a need for people to come together. And they will say so. They'll get on television, they'll get on their shows, they'll write opinion pieces, the whole bit. Whoever has any modicum of influence today is advocating for people coming together. But when we begin to talk about the specifics of how anyone can come together, The deal breaker is, come together on my ideas. If we could all agree that my ideas carry the marketplace or carry the day, then we'd all have a wonderful, happily ever after existence. What they're not understanding is a culture that's been here since Adam has now reached its full flowering, fruiting uh, apogee. The fruit of it is ripe. That's the culture of an orphan. An orphan has no stake in the bigger picture. 
In fact, the bigger picture threatens the orphan. Because the question always in the mind of the orphan is, what is in it for me? Underlying that is the question, how am I going to survive in a world that I don't control? So we're watching how society is evolving at at a pace that is really exponential. And the aspect of society that is evolving as rapidly as this is an aspect that is defined by the amalgamation of ideas, ideas based in the culture of survival, and how that amalgamates with technology. The combination of the two are rapidly dividing society along the lines of ad hoc constituencies, meaning get enough people together on Twitter and you have assured yourself of staying power, of anonymity, of longevity, and it keeps you from falling into the abyss of anonymity. People understand, the users of technology at this level, understand that they must have a a marketplace for their ideas. They must create a constituency that in the main presents them and presents their ideas as if enough people will subscribe to their point of view so they must be, they must be heard. And If you can command millions of Twitter followers, for example, or millions of Facebook uh, followers, then you, in the eyes of the public, and in the eyes of competing constituencies, you've carved out a marketplace. And this potential marketplace is your support base and gives you a measure of immunity from just suddenly uh, falling off the charts and going into anonymity. So, for example, I'll give an example. It used to be that artists would commit themselves to record labels, and, uh, and the record labels would promote their music and would develop their marketplace for them. But the record labels had tremendous uh, control over the artists, over the artist's future, and etc. Today, if you, quote, drop an album, you typically do so with a reference to a Twitter account. And And you go directly, bypassing the old structures and the old forms, like a record label, and you go directly to the marketplace. And of course, with the ability to download the song electronically, you can literally bypass every other structure. So it's important to the artist to develop a constituency 
that remains loyal uh, to the artist. So, what we're noticing is how artists, there are no artists today who hope to have staying power or longevity who can afford not to adopt a social position. Because the social position is the marketplace. So, we have top name artists who will interrupt a concert, for example, and go on a political rant to the cheering and adoration of that crowd. Or we'll have someone getting ready to, quote, drop an album, uh, leak um, videos, uh, in one particular case of uh, this young artist, swinging naked on a wrecking ball. Um, most of you recognize what I'm, what I'm referencing at this point. What's that stunt about? It's about exciting the, the emotions of a certain constituency. It turned out that the particular artist ended up with 13 million Twitter followers. What did that do? It granted her immunity from criticism because she had carved out a market all for herself, loyal to her, and would guarantee the success, the financial success of the album upon its arrival. You have um, uh, people who use media like Instagram. People with no particular gifting or talent, but accept the desire to be famous. And being famous for being famous, they will uh, post pictures practically by the minute of their daily existences. Of course, they're tied to that medium and they are entirely created by that medium. And needless to say, they recognize that everybody else recognizes that that's a path out of anonymity. And so you have fierce competition by people who, who elect to take that path upward out of their positions of anonymity in order to become famous. Now, what exactly do these people think about the, the long-term broader impact on society for their attempts to seize a particular aspect of social culture and to, to enlarge it, to grant themselves immunity both from anonymity and the opportunity to benefit financially. What do they actually think? Who are these people? Are there any great social thinkers? Are there spiritual leaders? Are there great political leaders? No, no. This is the empowerment of the masses of people to no greater end than the motivation not to be anonymous and to survive financially. Does anybody think, do they ever think about the impact on, say, such issues as moral convictions, the images that they are portraying and sustaining when, when really all they have, what most of these people, all they have 
is a body to be clothed or unclothed for the purpose of gaining notoriety, for the purpose of gaining wealth, etc. That's why we can't come together. Everyone is doing what is right in his or her own eyes for no greater purpose than to grant them immunity from anonymity and to supply them financially. This is the undeniable expression of the culture of the orphan, which says also that our culture currently across the globe has whatever it was, whether it was tribal, familial, national, it's actually being replaced by the culture of the orphan, which is me first. And so, probably the most insidious result of the culture of the orphan in, is in this me first expression is that in carving out these constituencies, it's defining a new culture with no cohesion, no cohesion to it at all. Each expression is as different as from the other as the individuals are different from each other. And so, I, I think it was in uh, one of their the, the video games, there was a particular set of video games based on a popular chi- uh, children's series in which the children are encouraged to identify with one of the storybook characters. And they're, they're like tribes of these storybook characters. And the idea is to define these characteristics of the particular villain or the particular hero in, in these stories and to identify the characteristics of these people socially so that young impressionable preteens can identify with these characteristics in the absence of a greater overarching uh, definition of personhood. So not only are marginal actors seizing the center of cultural development, but fantasy is also uh, pushing its way to the center. And, of course, one of the more significant aspects of this is that it's targeted at younger and younger people, which is to say that the social engineering hopes to have a long-term effect. It is true that older people tend to change less readily. They're more difficult to change. They're more set in their ways. They have a greater infrastructure to maintain and a part of and the like. So from a marketing standpoint, of course, it is far easier to target a younger and younger audience. But the cumulative effect of doing so is that you're you're defining the generations before they even have 
much of an opportunity to choose how they are to be defined and how society, the society in which they are to live are being defined. Aided by technology, uh, everybody has the opportunity to take their cut, their slice of society, and to take it wherever they want to with themselves. The breakdown of the family really created a vacuum so that the these social actors became the surrogate parents. If you if you look at how young men dress and what their ideas are for success, it's all based on popular figures or even mythical figures. You look at how the fashions that are popular with young women, you pretty well know who is the reigning Instagram star at the moment or who is the reigning social media person. Um, You look at the choices of music and you can tell who are connecting with the young people. What I'm saying is, it may sound like the typical rant of an old gray-haired fellow. I hope that you would recognize that I'm raising issues of a long-term nature that would preclude this being a rant of any kind and rather a wake-up call, or at least a commentary on the drift that is is presently occurring in society. And in some ways, you see, in some ways, it's the law of unintended consequences. In that, what began to emerge primarily in the field of... uh, philosophy and religion about 20 or so years ago, 25 years ago, was a thought about the postmodern era. And the young people of that time were, as a, as a, as a group, obviously, when you, when you use generalizations like that, you, you should recognize their specific exceptions and their significant exceptions. But the purpose of generalizations is to speak to a trend. So a trend began to evolve in religious and philosophical circles um, about 25 years ago called the postmodern period. Now, I mean, that's sort of a, a label that's dropped off. And what it was, was, it was, to, was to rail against the existing order of the day with no clear understanding of what it hoped would replace it. Now, I'm, I'm not for a moment arguing that the, the social order of 25 years ago should have been the continued and preferred baseline for society currently, because so many things have changed, including the pace of the evolution of technology Um, and the way that that connects people. What I am saying is, it would appear that there's a vacuum of ideas because 
in the destruction, in the, in the instantaneous destruction of prior order, no thought was actually given to the order that would replace it. So we've ended up with the destruction of family as a model, or at least the, the complete redesigning of it. So much so that by comparison to family, notions of family 25 years ago, there are hardly any recognizable references to family today. But with that also, another great pillar of society was hurled down. And this by its own doing, religion was hurled down as the corruption that had become endemic in society has burst open in all of its filth and it's all of its unchecked and gross excesses. The Roman church leads the way in this. <clears throat> but it's nearly being matched step for, by step <clears throat> by the evangelical church. <clears throat> the leaders have continued to fight for market share like any good orphan. And society is at a loss as to what to do next. In the next broadcast, I want to talk to you about unchanging things, things that are eternally true. Therefore, they're going to be true in time, and when we connect to these eternal truths, It doesn't matter whose culture is prevailing. Our culture will be firmly rooted in eternal things. Eternal things are not the same as religious things. Just as God is not the same as religion. God is a person. And eternal things are the reflections of his unchanging nature. Connection to God will become the replacement culture that people seek who are trying to find a way forward in the midst of this chaos and the growing darkness and hopelessness, frustration and depression actually that that have come to characterize our present order. So I want to talk to you about the spirit of adoption in the next broadcast. Thank you. I'm Sam Solon, and I'll talk to you then. Bye-bye.